Welcome everybody to Legal Tech Week for February 23rd, 2024. This is the show where we talk about the stories of the week in legal tech and innovation. We weren't here last week because a lot of us were off at uh, ABA Tech Show. I think actually all of us were off at ABA Tech Show that are on the panel today. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that and uh, and other stuff out of the week. So I am Bob Ambrogi. I have a blog called Law Sites and a podcast called Law Next. Uh, we've got uh, one guest panelist today, Julie Shabwale. Julie, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm the token Canadian today. My name is Julie Shabwale, and I'm a legal journalist. I write for the Canadian Bar Association and Canadian lawyer. It's always good to have an occasional Canadian on the show. Yeah, just bring some bring some sane perspective to things. Um, and uh, also uh, joining us this week, Victor, you want to go next? Hi, everyone. My name is Victor Lee. I am Assistant Managing Editor for the ABA Journal. Uh, I am not Canadian. Um, I, 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 I've always liked Canada whenever I've gone, though. I, I think the last time I went was a while ago. I went to Toronto. So I, I don't know. Yeah, but, but yeah, I had, like, I had a blast and, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, Steve? I am uh, Steve Embry. I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads. I was also on the tech show board this year so if anything good to say say it to me anything bad you can you know keep it to yourself whatever <laughs> glad to be here <laughs> and, you, and you're going to be cheering tech show next year right or is that do we know that or is that not a thing we don't know we th th that typically is what happens but we do not know that as of yet still oh, there's well. still time for me to screw things up i guess <laughs> <laughs> all right we hope so and last but not least, Joe. Uh, Joe Patrice from Above the Law and Thinking Like a Lawyer. I am uh, on the road yet again, but glad to, uh, you know, go from one tech show to another tech show to another conference. But uh, so I'm getting tired, but the end is in sight. Yeah, and I guess I guess Nikki's on the road today, too, also after there's been a lot of travel going on and Stephanie's on the road, but in a good way. She's off off vacationing somewhere. So that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, we didn't get a chance to meet last Friday since we were all tied up at Tech Show. So I thought maybe we ought to start there and just kind of share our, our thoughts about it and, and what we all thought about it. Um, uh, I don't know, Steve, since you're sort of a, an officer of the court, in a sense, uh, representing <laughs> Tech Show here, we, we, what, did, what did you think? What was the like, uh, you know, what's the party line? What's the official takeaway? Well, um, I guess a few points. Um, I thought it went really well. It was very well attended, uh, both in terms of um, people and exhibitors and sponsors, which was which was really good to see. I don't have the exact number. I think we were clearly back to pre-COVID days. Uh, I don't know whether we surpassed last year. I um, think that we did, given the numbers that we Typically what happens is you get the people that register in advance and then there's a big push like the week before because people from Chicago come roaring in at the last minute. Um, that roaring in is maybe the wrong word. So I, that, that part was good. There were a lot of really good presentations, I thought, from some, some really interesting people with different perspectives. Uh, the startup alley competition was as well attended as I've ever seen it. Uh, I think we were actually in, we were in the, I can't remember. We may have been in the same room last year, uh, but it's yeah, a big were. room. Um, 
even the 60 for 60 uh, session, which was on the last day, was was very well attended. Um, you know, next year we'll be moving to McCormick Place. So we'll have a little bit more flexibility with space, particularly exhibit space. I would like to get the, the startup alley participants uh, more visibility. You know, they're kind of stuck back in that little corner down there. Um, Farther which, back you than know, they've is, ever been, I think. Yeah, which, you know, in part reflects the fact that we had we had a, had a lot of paying customers, I guess is the best way to put it, uh, but which is which is good and bad. But, uh, you know, one of the if I'm back on the board and chair, one of the goals in the new space would give be to give them more visibility because I, they're, they're really fun to talk to and chat with and kind of see where they're going and, and, and what they're doing. Uh, we had, you know, we had some overlapping sessions. Um which, you know, is hard not to when, like every other conference, most of the sessions are about AI, generative AI. Uh, you know, that's that's something we might work on. But all in all, I'm, I, I would it be interested in your all's perspectives. But but I was pleased. I, I thought it went re- re- really well. That's the party line. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 those are my those are my perspectives only and I, I was there's no party line that I know of <laughs> Julie you're there what did you what did you think yeah I thought it was a really interesting show in that um the conversations I had with people were quite different uh you know I always meet that one or two you know, solo or small firm practitioner who's like, oh, I'm not really sure what all this is. And this is my first time. And I met a lot of people actually first time uh, tech show folks. I I always look out for them. They're usually actually by the startups. So I would like to hear more visibility of them because I think they find it a little less um, intimidating to to go up against, to go and talk to the smaller companies. But the ones that I talked to who were there for the first time, they actually were well educated about what's going on. They said, no, I came here because I know about generative AI. I want to learn more about it. I know that companies are using it more. I'm looking for a company that does X, Y, and Z. I think that's a real big turn for tech show because I know tech shows got that audience of people who love this stuff and we all love this stuff, but also for folks who are just jumping in. And I also met a lot of people who were not lawyers, who serve lawyers, accountants, consultants, um computer scientists and that was really interesting to me as well the panels themselves were very good thursday was a blockbuster with pablo from case tax and uh, joshua leon and you know all the all the typical guys that i was like ah, i wish there was more space so that i could go to everything um but but you know it's tech show for that but i thought it was really good and and i really think tech show has really established itself as like the place to have these conversations Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I thought Thursday was was probably the best attended day um, of the of the show. Just when I got there, it, it definitely seemed like it was almost like a pre pandemic kind of feel to it. Like every, you know, lots of people everywhere, you know, mingling about and like you know and things like that. Um, Friday was a little bit less well attended because um, I, I, from what I, from what I understand, there was a. Uh, there was a um, like like a, like an AI AI like a symposium thing at Northwestern that uh, that drew a lot of people that drew a lot of people away from the show. Uh, but you know, I mean, that's that's you know, I, I mean, it, it, you know, it doesn't 
I, you know, I, I think it's just, it just kind of shows you just how 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 invested and how interested people are in, in this topic. And you know, yeah, I think like I think like like everyone there, um, just as we were covering it. I mean, we definitely were kind of like, okay, how many sessions are going to be about generative AI? How many sessions are going to be about ChatGPT and that stuff? But on the other hand, this is what people are talking about. This is what people want to want to hear about. This is what people are interested in. And it is the technology that people are 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 are, are you know are that's on the top of everyone's mind these days. So I understood that. I mean, it's something that, that had to be done and people wanted to talk about it, wanted to, wanted to learn more about it. And yeah, I, I, I think I was definitely surprised at sort of the level of interest in it. Cause I mean, I think, you know, I'm sure a lot of people you know will, will agree that tech show, you know, yeah, you always get a, 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 like a very wide spectrum of people, people who are people who are more advanced, but also people who are there just to like learn about very basic things. Like, you know, how to use, how to use word properly, how to use email and that kind of stuff. Um, and it seemed like this time there, there was, there was, there was, it did seem like there was more sophistication as far, at least as far as Gen, Gen AI and, and, and awareness of those tools and, and willingness to kind of learn more about them. So that, 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 that was nice thing to see. Yeah. Yeah, I keep, I, I mean, I think this is the same takeaway I had from Legal Week as well, which is that this is, for whatever reason, uh, the communities we serve, which isn't just lawyers, as Julius pointed out, there are people kind of in the legal orbit that uh, care about this stuff too. But um, for whatever reason, a generative AI has brought all of those people uh, to a new level of interest that normally the legal community does not have for tech. Um, and yeah, so I saw that at Legal Week. I saw it much more here. I thought that the programming here, like the worst part is obviously we meet with a lot of vendors, uh, which meant I didn't get to see a lot of the actual programming, but scrolling through the actual programming and i guess julie touched on this too that like there were so many panels that were all happening at once that would have all been amazing to have watched so it's a very interesting time to have the community care this much about the topic yeah i mean my, my own impressions were that it was uh um you know as, as steve said it seemed to feel like probably the the best attended tech show i'd been to in years uh, and and just really good energy around it, I, and people were excited to be there. And uh, it, it uh, you know, it it it, it was uh, in that sense a, a really good really good conference. Um, the I I have to confess, I don't think I went to like a single program. I was, I was so busy having meetings and whatever else, other than my startup alley, and I don't know, I think it was one other or something I might have made it to. So. I, I can't really comment on the programs. I did. I just looking at the agenda, I was struck by how many there were on AI. Uh, again, reflecting the times, I understand that, but um, it seemed almost a little bit overkill because a lot of them almost seemed to be redundant in the descriptions. I don't. I didn't attend them, so I don't know whether they were redundant in their content. But the descriptions were basically how to use AI in your law practice, uh, and uh, several times on the agenda, but. You know, again, I think that's why why people are there. I um, the what the you know, and, and the startup alley was the same way. I mean, of the fifteen companies presenting there, I, I think all but a couple were were some variation on on AI. I, it, perhaps yeah. telling that the the one that won Alt Fee is not really an AI based uh, company, <laughs> or at least it doesn't have AI in its name anywhere. Um, so uh, you know, I don't I don't know what that tells you. Um, the uh, the the vendors that I talked to were just like super happy with what 
they were getting in the exhibit hall. And I went down, I went, the startup alley was way in back uh, and, and uh, set up in a way where the, you know, the last four or so of them were like about as far, far back in, in the corner as you could get. But I, I went and talked to every one of the, those startup alley companies, you know, in the exhibit hall. And they were, I mean, they were saying they're just getting really good conversations and, and uh, people coming by with a lot of interest in what they were doing. Um, so I, I thought it was good. I, I think one interesting trend with tech show has been there. It seems like there are fewer and fewer actual practicing lawyers who, who go there uh, than it used to be. I, I mean, I felt like tech show was always one of those conferences where there were a high, high percentage of, you know, working lawyers uh, and, and not as many kind of industry people or vendors or whatever, other than those exhibiting, but just other, other, otherwise. But um, again, a lot of the, some of the feedback I was getting from vendors is, is they had a lot of people coming to talk to them, but a lot of them were either consultants or uh, working for other companies in the space and, and uh, not as many kind of practicing lawyers. I don't, I don't know, Steve, if you know if there's any data or anything that would back that up w one way or the other, but uh, that was one thing yeah, I kept I, hearing. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know that there is, and it's, and it's really hard to gauge, too, when you know people sign right. up. Like we don't ask, we ask, are you a lawyer? But I think we do when you register, but whether you're a practicing lawyer, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to tell. Um, I didn't get that sense. Uh, in fact, I actually heard several vendors who told me, that, unlike a lot of shows, they actually were, were getting contracts signed, you know, at the show, which, be, yeah. which would suggest their decision makers there, which typically, for better or worse in law firms is a lawyer. <laughs> maybe maybe that's a sad commentary on the on the business of law, but uh in any event. So I, I really don't I really don't know. It's um it's hard to say, hard to get that kind of data, but it's something to look out for, absolutely. I also heard a bunch of people say that they had signed deals at the show, which I wrote an article several years ago at this point that uh said that tech show was transitioning into being kind of a little bit more of a vendor to vendor show a lot's more like the buzz i would always hear is more i built this partnership we're building that you know like we we tested out i'm seeing what my competitors do which you know there's a place for that too and it's very valuable too uh but yeah i echo that i heard more than one vendor say yeah we got a few deals signed here which you know is a sign that uh maybe this is bounding back in that way. I do want to say, uh, I know other people uh, might want to chime in on this, but uh, before it disappears from the chat, I thought Hayden had an interesting question in the audience here about uh, that alt fee thing uh, and whether or not marketing based on AI is something that is a positive or negative. So I want to table that if people have more, but I think that's an interesting question. Yeah, I was um, yeah, I, I was interested in that too, but I saw that and I started responding and then a bunch of other people Sorry, response. I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought that was because I, I think if anything, from what we've seen, and I mean, we've talked about it on, on on this program a little bit, is that there's kind of a there's kind of people are kind of falling over, over themselves to say that 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 they are using AI and that and that it is part of their um, you know process or that they are or that or that they're planning to integrate it into their systems, like you know some some of the big um, some of the big research companies and whatnot. And so I think if anything, people are it, it, it's almost become something where you know. You you want to say you you want to say that you're doing it just so that you look like you're keeping up with everybody and that you're not behind the behind the curve and that you're not dropping the ball on anything that you that you know you're 
you know, that you're at, le- at the very least, you know, starting starting to put it into your systems or using it or 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 ready ready to roll it out at some point or something just 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 to keep up with keep up with the Joneses, you know. I mean, I, I mean, at least that, that that's how I see it. Um, but yeah, I'd be I'd be curious to see what other people are seeing. Yeah, I would echo that as well. I I had a conversation actually with uh, with a practitioner from the Carolinas. I'm trying to remember, I think it's North Carolina, where she was asking about. <laughs> there's a difference, Joe. I know there's a difference between North and South Carolina. Anyway somebody who used to live in Kentucky, but um, we were talking about this, about AI and what it means when people market themselves as AI. And I know we're not into the startup alley discussion yet, but I kind of love- Talk about it. We can merge it all together. It's good. Okay, good. good. (laughs) I'm really happy about Altfee winning, not not just because they're a Canadian company, but also I think this is really one of those trends that isn't going to let go. Um, that AI is accelerating, which is subscription fees and, and, and alternative flat fees, right? Which has been around for quite a while. But as we're talking about efficiencies and, and moving data into generative AI to find those, you know, all those wonderful things, you're going to need a system like an alt fee. This is not me promoting alt fee. I'm just saying what they're talking about makes a lot of sense. And so I kind of feel like people talking about AI is, is the same way where I you know, get my cable and phone if I'm, you know, inclined to not be a cord cutter and they bundle my services, you know, (laughs) am I going to get, am I going to get, you know, unlimited data on my cell phone when I get a package? It's, it's kind of just part of the, the pitch. And if I don't mention AI when I'm selling my product or service, the customer's going to ask at some point. And I've heard this from other lawyers as well, from clients and vendors, where if they don't bring up AI, they bring up AI first. And so I think it's just part of the normal vernacular of, of legal tech at this point. But I do think what Altfee did is bridge that together, even though they're not saying we're a generative AI company, they're, they're really selling about flat fees and subscription. But I think they made that link, and it was smart of them to do that when they were doing their pitch. They're AI adjacent, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I, th- I think. I mean, I, I think obviously every every company in the world seems to think it's it's to their benefit to to market some some variation on AI uh, in 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 their product. I think it's also interesting how many companies are now going to pains to point out. W- the differences between when they're in some ways developing their own AI. I, there was one of the uh, one of the startup alley was developing their own large language model for legal. Uh, which one was that? Was that? Uh, there were a couple. Like, yeah, because I, yeah, I, 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 I noticed that too. I was like, oh, they're, they're yeah, because they made a big deal about how how they were they were developing their own proprietary uh, language as opposed to just relying on open AI. Yeah, I think one of the yeah one of the one of the first I think that's first two or three. People, uh, um, yeah. I'll go back and take a look at my notes. Paxton was the first one to go, and I think they, I think that was part of their pitch. Um, and then, and then also at the same time, pointing out, you know, when somebody else is really just building a, a, a integration with ChatGPT or something, and, and not doing anything all that phenomenal. Um, I had a point that I was leading to, and now I totally forgot what it was. Um, <laughs> Oh, what I was, so what, but what I was going to say, I mean, regarding, you know, 
I think I think it's important for people starting up legal tech companies even to, to remember that there are a whole bunch of problems that lawyers still have that don't need AI to be to, to, to solve them. And, uh, you know, if we all focus too much on, on AI, maybe they're missing some opportunities to address other other opportunities that still exist in, in the legal space. What's the other thing on uh, tech show? Anything else on tech show? Thoughts? Well, one thing I thought was interesting is that, like, kind of like build off the all three thing. There were a couple sessions where, and, and I think also they, they talked about this in, the, in one of the, I think one of the main one of the main presentations, talking about how this could be the end of the billable hour. I thought that was a also kind of a recurring theme with, with, with some of these presentations, and I, I don't know, I. I, I mean, I I understand the the optimism and I understand the um, the impulse for people, but you know, the billable hour to me is kind of like the Terminator. Like you can't kill it. Like it's 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 been here forever, and and I, I, I well not forever, but like it's been here for so long, and so many things have kept come up that have been that have, that have threatened it, and and they, you know, batted it aside. So I, I mean, look, I, I mean, could this be the thing that does it? Maybe, but I'm, I I wouldn't I wouldn't. I wouldn't invest all of my money in that, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, going although again, that's part of as I think Julia pointed out, that's kind of alt fees pitch in a sense is that uh, the billable hour just doesn't work anymore in the age of AI, and that's why you need something like alt fee to help you set your fees more rationally uh, based on based on factors other than how many hours you spend on it. All right. Uh, well, uh, Steve, we'll be looking forward to it bigger, better. <laughs> should you should you get the honors uh, next yeah. next year? You're gonna have more space to fill, right? It's gonna have to be bigger. Is that, is that, yeah, is that, that, that place is huge. It is huge, but uh, is huge. And, and, and it's not it's not you know honestly like um you know uh, I I feel like most people are like like it's not as it's not as fun down there. Like it's 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 not that close to downtown. It's 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 close to like Soldier Field and like in like those areas. And, like there there's stuff to do around there, but yeah, like like for the people who want to like go to the re the, the good restaurants that in the loop, or want to, um, they're gonna have, they're gonna have to drive or, or take an Uber or something. I mean, it's 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 not it's not the best area to be as far as like as far as uh, like eating and 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 meeting up and stuff like that. So that and and, and for us locals, it's it, it, it's it, especially those of us that live in the north, not gonna be fun getting there. <laughs> no, but, but you know, Victor, it is close to the Shedd Aquarium. We'll be closer to the Shedd Aquarium, which is one of the yeah. best best aquariums so, in the world so so there's the, there's the selling point from McCormick place <laughs> and and, and, and if the bears move oh. if the bears move away then 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 there'll be lots of lots of parking space around around the stadium that, that, that we can use i do have <laughs> yeah, a new it's, favorite uh, restaurant in chicago now thanks to joshua lennon who uh introduced me to it uh, there and I, i'm already blanking on the name of it but joshua may remember he's in the chat but uh have a, a mexican place but it was really really good um I, I'm sorry, Although sorry. I have, I have to say, I went to I went to several restaurants while I was there, and probably because it was it was sort of cold and windy, I took an Uber to every one of them. So, <laughs> yeah, one of the people I was with had a, one of the people that we all know on this show had a had an Uber allowance that was needed to be spent. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Frontera Grill, yes, thank you, Joshua. That was an excellent place. If you're ever back in Chicago, I highly recommend it. Really good. Uh, 
Yeah. You know, he's the he's the good Bayless brother. You should always uh you should always support him because he doesn't talk to Skip, I believe. I think they like are very <laughs> estranged. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they really are brothers, and oh, they yeah, really are. Friends. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. yeah, no, yeah, no. He oh. and uh, and yeah, they do not get along, from what I gather. Hmm. And they went well, to high can, school. How, how can with you get along with Skip? <laughs> I know, right? And they went to high school with Elizabeth Warren. It was like the three of them, like in a row, like one year apart or something like that. It's like really wild how that random Oklahoma school <laughs> produced all that. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, another week, uh, another. Two examples this week of uh, hallucinated cases getting filed in court. Uh, I wrote them about on, about them on, on my blog. I, I think some others might have might have covered them uh, as well. Uh, but uh, interesting, uh, two both both cases in which uh, hallucinated cases were filed. Both cases that ended up resulting in sanctions. The interesting difference between the two of them is that in one of them, it was a pro se litigant who was filing an appeal, uh, self-represented on an appeal, but uh, filed a brief uh, in which was it 23 out of 25 citations were made up or something like that. Uh, And uh, the, 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 when, when questioned about it or when, when, when the, the court raised it with the with the self-represented litigant. The litigant essentially blamed a said they had hired a lawyer online who claimed to be admitted in California and had written the brief for them for some fraction of the cost it would have cost them to hire a real lawyer. So we don't know whether there's actually a lawyer behind the story or not. Uh, but this self-represented litigant got a pretty steep sanction, I think. Got got the appeal dismissed and then got a $10,000 uh, order to pay $10,000 in attorney's fees toward the uh, other side's uh, you know, defense of the matter. Uh, then in the other case out of Massachusetts where uh, a lawyer uh, actually filed the several uh, several uh, responses to motions to dismiss in a, in a trial level matter um, turned out the, the judge was looking at the at the at these motions at these replies rather and kind of got suspicious they didn't just quite look right and uh, started looking them up and realizing that several of these citations were fiction uh, at they had a hearing on the motion to dismiss when the judge, confronted the lawyer about it. The lawyer was as surprised apparently as the judge was and didn't seem to have realized this, but uh, then the judge asked the lawyer to go back and figure it out and write a, write a, write a letter explaining what happened. And so the lawyer basically uh, uh, threw, threw his staff under the, under the bus uh, in, insofar as uh, blaming two recent law school graduates working in his office and an associate working in his office who apparently had used this AI thing to uh, help write these motions. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, where, whereas the, the self-represented litigant had to pay $10,000 for their uh, fictionalized cases, the, the uh, fellow brethren of the bar here, I guess, uh, only had to pay $2,000. I think pretty much got off kind of easy uh, in this case. Uh, the, the lawyer basically just professed, you know, ignorance of AI, uh, and uh, it, you know, apparently admitted that although he had reviewed the uh, 
the memoranda for style and grammar and stuff like that. It never bothered to check the citations. Um, but I, I thought it was, uh, I thought what was probably most interesting about that decision was the, the, uh, kind of broader lesson that the, that the judge ended the opinion with, uh, and, uh, basically saying that uh, it is imperative that all attorneys practicing in the courts of this Commonwealth understand they're obligated to know whether AI technology is being used in the preparation of court papers and to ensure that appropriate steps are being taken to verify the truthfulness and accuracy of AI, any AI generated content. Then he goes on to say the blind acceptance of AI generated content by attorneys undoubtedly will lead to other sanctioned hearings in the future but a defense based on ignorance will be less credible and likely less successful as the dangers associated with the use of generative AI becomes more widely known. So uh, lawyers, you're on notice, I guess. But here's what I understand. Like if, if, if I had used chat GPT and, you know, but then checked all the citations, then how would they know I used it? Like, as long as you check, if you check the citations and they're real, you're fine, right? How would they know how I prepared it? Right. And and that's the that's the problem with some of these rules, like that Texas rule that's all like you have to disclose that you used it in any part of the process. It's like, well, why? If I got the cases that way and I checked that they're right, why do I have to tell you what the guts of the search were? Especially well, he's not saying, soon. though, that this judge wasn't saying yeah. you had to say right. that you used AI. He's just saying, check it, verify it. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I was transitioning I a little bit to the Texas situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, the thing I don't understand about that, and maybe there's, you know, like a lot of cases like this, there's more that may have gone on that is not known. But why the pro se litigant was was treated so harshly? I, I don't. I don't get that. Unless, you know, maybe as I say, maybe there was something more that went on in the case that was, the judge was aware of that aggravated him or her uh but to to, to charge us but he's basically saying to a pro se litigant you you should you should know and understand the risks and benefits of this technology when how can you expect that it's almost it's almost like saying if you use a chat bot to book your flight and the chat box wrong you should have understood and known that <laughs> Right, right. We'll get to that. <laughs> but, um, but, but, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I read that uh, your your story, Bob, and I couldn't. I, I just it was somewhat remarkable. The other thing I thought yeah. was, I should just the, on the, that point. I should, I should just say they, they. I, I skipped over in my story. This self-represented litigant had also just had made a mess of their filing and 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 had screwed up. In, in multiple ways in terms of filing this appeal and the judge had kept giving him extensions to fix it and he didn't fix it. And I think ultimately the judge thought this was just an entirely frivolous appeal that was wasting everybody's time in the first place for other reasons besides just the, so there might've been other reasons contributing to that yeah. $10,000. That's, that's, that's what I wondered as well. The other thing it's kind of hits me, it seems to be happening so often. I mean, it's, you know, I wonder if it if it's just a temptation for busy lawyers who think, well, you know, I'll just use the citation. Nobody will probably check and, and I'll be OK. It's probably not much risk. And that, it's that complacency danger that, you know, that that is beginning to become kind of worrisome. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, all these cases worry me because we just talked about a tech show where we said we saw people who were more sophisticated about this. And then people do these things like, I mean, th th you can't turn in work without looking at it first. And from what I've read there uh, in your in your blog post, Bob, like some of them, you know, XYZ company, I just, it's like obvious. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I was worried about the the pro se litigant because we did have a case like that in Canada recently. We've had two recently. One where there was a pro se litigant who um, also used AI, and the the judge said don't do that again, but didn't find them. And then a lawyer who did the same thing that you were mentioning, where they turned something in, and it was obvious that the cases were fake. And and I just I just don't know if there's proper training or training is really the common sense part of it right but I just don't understand what's happening in those lawyers worlds like how does that firm operate because if this is if this is happening what else is happening in that firm and I'm not trying to say all these lawyers are practicing in unethical ways I'm not trying to say that at all but um the, this one it's pretty obvious the vast majority of the cases almost all of them were fake so a paralegal, a legal assistant, a law student, a, a first year associate couldn't have caught any of those. Yeah, I, that's. I mean, that's to Joyce. Joyce made the point in the, in the chat. Joy wrote Heath Rush. Does that you know, we've said it this, yeah. yeah, we've said it before. This is not. This is not technology's problem. This is sloppy lawyering. That's what it comes mm -hmm. down to. And um, um, yeah, that's it's. Un because, you know, for years, lawyers have, I say, cut corners is maybe too strong of a word, but they would rely on Westlaw headnotes, not to pick on Westlaw. But, and those aren't always accurate or at least accurate to fit in within a particular factual situation. Now, I realize that's different than citing a, citing a fictitious case, but how, I mean, I could many, many times I would plug cases into briefs that, I had not read the cases. The associate had done the research, or there were times where you know you would you would have um, you know the standard for summary judgment in this jurisdiction is whatever it is, and you'd have a you know cite four or five cases. I never read those stupid cases. I've, I just assumed they stood for what they stood for, and it was never challenged on it. Um, but there's that sort of temptation, I think, with with the Chat GPT kind of tools for people to treat those sort of in this, the situations the same way and they're not the same yeah so before we get to your chat boss steve there was a related G <laughs> a sort of related jeep chat gpt case uh, or situation this week that, that joe that you wrote about i mean it, not not a not a hallucinated case but a uh, uh, a reliance on uh, chat gpt that didn't go over so well yeah so you know we i, I knew that we were going to have more conversations about hallucinating case law. So I thought well, we'd shake it up a little bit. Uh, in the <laughs> Southern District of New York, there was a case where the where Judge Engelmeyer got very uh, annoyed with a law firm that had used, in, in fairness, not exclusively, and transparently they used it, uh, but had used among their sources when they were seeking, a, they had won a, uh, an idea statute case, which entitles them to uh, reasonable attorney fees and improving reasonability. They cited a number of sources, and one of the sources was a 
chat GPT search, uh, which their argument here, um, <clears throat> the judge dismissed this out of hand and uh, wrote a little bit of a diatribe about how utilizing chat GPT was utterly useless and unpersuasive, uh, the rare multiple U alliteration. Uh, but he, his argument, uh, the argument of the firm, which I thought was very interesting, was, look, increasingly AI is part of our lives and the reasonableness of hiring attorney is going to be determined by regular folks typing into something like chat GPT. How much does it cost to hire a lawyer to pursue XYZ thing in New York City? And it's going to give an answer. And that's what they're going to assume reasonability is, uh, which I thought was a very, I thought was a non-ridiculous argument. Uh, now, the flip side of this, of course, is that uh, the other sources that they had cited were a series of reports that did stuff like lump cravats, what cravat charges folks to, uh, charges Goldman Sachs to pursue a case. And they were saying, yeah, you know, I mean, that's uh, what New York charges, uh, which is probably different than an administrative hearing. Uh, and the judge thought that was very, it was very irritated by those. And by extension, uh, what chat GPT probably does is uh, look at those exact same things that the judge said were already the wrong sources and uh, spit that back. So it was useless. But I was struck that he didn't really zero in on the idea that it was going to just regurgitate the same sources that he'd already that they'd already decided were wrong. He went off on hallucinations, uh, which bothered me because I think this is a situation where it was not hallucinating. It didn't see. It seems like it was giving very real answers that were wrong, but they were real. They were based on stuff, based on real data, like these real reports. Uh, they were inapt for the pro for the situation. That didn't make them any less real. And when the judge's only argument was to explain hallucinations, it bugged me because I worry hallucinations, I think, are going to be, at least in the legal space, going to cease to be the problem with AI relatively quickly. We're going to start building things that deal with that problem. Uh, what's going to be the problem is the reliability of the data that goes into it, you know, as far as whether or not it's good for the process. And the fact that a judge is hung up in a case where there probably wasn't a hallucination is hung up on the hallucination idea bugs me because I feel like it's a sign that uh, we're not ready for prime time uh, when all this, when the next turn happens. It, it, it bothered me too, Joe, and for basically for, for the same reason. I mean, it, the, the, the real issue was, you know, what, whether the fee was reasonable for the type of work being done in the locale where it was being done. And that's what the ethical rule says that the fee should be based on. But, you know, as I understand it, in these ADA cases, it, it's the loser pays. I mean, if you if you're the defendant, which is, which I suspect is what the law firm was thinking. Oh, yeah, well, you know, X Y Z company is going to pay the fee, and maybe we can just bump it up a little bit by using these examples. Whichever it was, the reasoning of the court was was focused on the wrong thing, right result, wrong focus. <laughs> Well, and here's the thing, right? I mean, like, I, 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 I was also troubled by this, and and partly is because, okay, so I think maybe they're focusing a little too much on the chat GPT part. Like, what if, what if they just use like a 
like a regular analytics program to, to, to help them crunch the numbers and, and say, okay, well, typically in these type of cases with this type of result, this type of, this type of scenario, this is what, this is, this is the fee that typically comes in when it's this much time is spent on, you know, and, and I mean, that, that's an AI tool as well. So like, what if, but what it was so like, what if they'd use that, that kind of a program instead of typing in the chat GPT and being like, Hey, what's, what's the reasonable fee for blah, blah, blah. I mean, I mean, would they have still come to the same conclusion? I, I don't know. Yeah, this I was going to ask you this question, Joe, but I think you've cleared it up because when I first read it, I was like, I don't understand why we're talking about hallucinations. And the firm actually used other sources. Now, you know, as folks are talking about in the chat, perhaps that is not the best sources that they should have used. But I also don't want people to conflate bad generative AI decisions or information as hallucinations. Those are two completely different things. Hallucinations are it's fake. It's not real data. Whereas generative AI is known to give really bad data, right? Because of the inputs that it's given. And really, like you said, a better conversation would be, does it have the information it needs to actually identify how much uh, you should be charging for legal fees? That's a totally different conversation that people are working on as Joshua's, you know, posting what Clio does. So I'm worried that judges are conflating bad AI equals hallucinations because that's going to that's gonna give us a step back. I think we're actually doing really good in terms of understanding AI, understanding how Gen AI works. Like, I actually think the legal industry is doing well in adopting this technology. I just don't want us to take a step back and, and start going off about things that aren't the same because we're doing so well. <laughs> yeah. There's been a whole lot of uh, sort of discussion in the chat about the difference, the, the sort of two sides. There's the hallucinations on one side, but then there's the what, what happens when the output is maybe just wrong, not hallucinated, but maybe gives you the wrong result or a, a case that's been overruled or something like that. Uh, and that that sort of seems a little bit relevant to uh, Victor to the story uh, that you uh, wanted to highlight this week about about how to how to write. Uh, uh, you know how to how to talk how to talk to chat gpt in the first place and uh yeah um so yeah we, we recently hired a new uh, uh a new a new reporter uh danielle braff and this is one of our first stories and so um i thought i'd highlight it here but yeah basically and i mean and one thing that, that we've been hearing about just and we, we talked about it in this program too is just like you know one possible area for lawyers or legal professionals or whatnot if they want to um, either differentiate themselves when they get out to the market, or maybe make themselves more more attractive to like you know for 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 jobs and whatnot is to learn how to learn how to phrase the search terms properly for generative AI tools, chat GPT tools, and whatnot. And so this article kind of takes you through sort of like you know like, like, like from people who who are you know who have who have been playing around with it and kind of you know give give some tips to sort of like how to properly phrase these search these search terms so that you so that you know, you still you'll still get the occasional you know hallucination or the occasional um, thing that you have to you have to double check or whatnot. But the ways that you can structure your search terms so that you're not so that you're not um, you know so you can limit that. So you know, I actually you know, and it ends up being a case where sometimes you have to end up doing quite a lot of work and a lot of research to phrase your search term properly. So you're not just saying, "Hey, ChatGPT, give me all these cases about such and such." You have to kind of explain, "Okay, this is what I want. Uh, this is the, these are the facts of the case." This is, um, you know, well, you know, the, 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 this is this is the this, you know, this is the state or the the venue that that's that's um, 
uh, the jurisdiction that's that's uh, relevant. Um, you know, give me these types of cases and whatnot from you know this to this 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 to this. So it, it ends up being a pretty involved. Um, um, you know, it ends up being a it ends up being a pretty involved process. Uh, it's not just you know just just typing it in and there you go. So obviously, it still beats you know going going on doing all the doing all the work yourself or. Or you know, starting from scratch and whatnot. I mean, you're still you're, you still save time that way. But it's not like it's not like you just you know, type in a few words and boom, there you go. So you know, I think I, and that that kind of ties into what we've been talking about in general. Just that this idea of needing to, you know, um, be a little bit more careful, a little bit more thorough, a little bit more you know, not just not just not just take the really really quick shortcut, but maybe take like the not so shortcut. It's still a shortcut, but it's not gonna it's not gonna you know save you save you like you know tons of like, like, like as much time as maybe you thought it would but it'll still save you time uh and it'll save you a lot of headache down the road so so that's sort of what the story was about feel free uh to check it out um and 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 you know, as always you know um uh, criticism or comments uh you can send them to my dog <laughs> well he, you know, he will the dog hallucinate <laughs> well, see, this this week she was kind of a dingus. She ate um she ate a very large I, I guess I guess the, what's the legal term? A not insignificant portion of my carpet upstairs. So we had to take her to the vet and get it taken out. Um that was not fun. <laughs> so you know, this actually reminds me this was a conversation I had at Legal Week um with uh, the folks from Redgrave Data that uh what a lot of people don't understand is that a lot of these LLMs, they consider different parts of the prompt and give weight to different areas of the prompt. And that's something that is kind of black boxed and they're running tests and a lot of people are, I guess, uh, to figure out like, hey, what is it that actually gets this one to do something? And unfortunately, you know, as it's training itself, you know, sometimes it's changing its approach as it goes. Um, and so figuring out even how to write a good prompt is a whole thing at this point. Which is why I have my new startup, Promptify. Uh, if no one's heard about it, yeah, I'm seeking somebody to buy it. It uh, it's a one click solution. Uh, it's optimized. You lawyers just hit a button and it will create a prompt. Uh oh, it will create a prompt that is that will give you actionable results. Now it will have nothing to do with anything you're interested in, but that's not <laughs> the point. Point is, the prompt will deliver results, and I think Latera should buy it. Oh, Maybe no. Thomson Reuters will buy it. They seem to. Oh be- yeah, Thomson Reuters. Yeah, Thomson Reuters has some cash. Come on. I was gonna say Thomson Reuters will be will be calling you or maybe even texting you right now or using ChatGPT to to work out the details of the deal. I I really like the article actually, Victor. I'm um yeah. I'm working on an article right now of a of a professor who's trying to develop a course on prompt engineering for law students, and um, he also equated it to back in the day when we had legal search tools first come out and we had no idea how to search for cases and search for legislation using those tools and how we had to kind of get muscle memory to learn how to do that with Westlaw and all these other tools. And so I actually like the suggestions in this article just to kind of think it through one, two, three. So, you know. Of course, you know, we probably always needed training for the senior partner giving an assignment to a young associate that was so, so I can remember walking out of some of those assignments going, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> well, it's, I think it's kind of the opposite for like, 
for like like Lexus or Lexus or Westall or even Google, it's like the more you put in, like the fewer the fewer things you get because like if you overload your search terms, then 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 then, then it's almost like no, well we're not we're not like how many documents are going to have all those words in it that could possibly be relevant, you know? Like so, you know, you, so so yeah, it, it's sort of, sort of the opposite of that where it's like you know rather than rather than putting in a few search terms and, and then kind of calling the result, it's like you you put in a large search term to search term to kind of narrow to kind of then, then narrow down what all the stuff that you can get so i, I can see why it would, be, it would be an adjustment i mean yeah like like just someone yeah dennis brought the bullion searches i'm like yeah like that that takes me back to, to law school in right. a bad way well maybe, maybe open ai should set up like a, a chat interface like like it's good when companies have chat interfaces that customers can come to and and ask questions and get answers isn't that is that right steve or no. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> just, just don't rely too much on the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was your cue. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there was Air Canada in, in honor of our guest from Canada. Uh, probably gets the prize for dumbest argument of the week when it comes to <laughs> So, so was this 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 person whose grandmother died, and he wanted to get. I think it was a he. He wanted to get a bereavement fair, so he went to the website, and there was a Air Canada chatbot, and he asked the chatbot about it, and was told, "Buy, pay full fare, and you will get a refund afterwards." So he he paid full fare, happily thinking he was going to get the refund, and when he went to get the refund, customer service said, "Oh, sorry." <laughs> no refund. You have to. You can't. You have to purchase it. You get the refund before. You can't ask for. You can't. You have to purchase the, the discounted ticket before. You can't ask for a refund afterwards. And he said, but, "Wait, wait, but, slow, slow down." So, so let me get this straight. Um, a Canadian said, "Sorry." I'm, I just want to make sure I got that. <laughs> uh, yes, actually, it wasn't. Probably wasn't sorry. It was probably more like. You dumb, whatever. <laughs> you shouldn't have relied upon our chatbot. What chatbot? What were you thinking? Um, and and the, the the passenger then filed a claim, the claim in small claims court. And the argument that was made by uh, Air Canada was was just that the, the chatbot is a separate thing. We can't control what it says. You shouldn't have relied upon it, and therefore you lose. Which which really is a pretty dumb argument. Uh, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure why they would have made that argument. Uh, perhaps it was a, a person in the customer service department of uh, Air Canada who thought this sounded pretty good, and maybe they thought this would, would, would bluff the passenger away from making a claim or filing in small claims court. Um Maybe they asked ChatGPT how to respond. I was just going to say that. Maybe they asked ChatGPT. And to be fair, fair, like there is a former president of the United States who has made that same argument. So (laughs) that that is true. Uh, You know, perhaps the better argument would have been, uh, you know, you you should have known that these things hallucinate. Our chatbot hallucinates, and you should have known that it hallucinated and shouldn't have relied upon it, which I think is also maybe a dumb argument, but, you know, I frequently encountered when I was practicing law much more than I am now that, that lawyers would sometimes make dumb arguments and file dumb pleadings in a sort of a rote way, not thinking about the public relations angle of what could happen. Um, 
Uh, I was in base with several people who were killed due to a horrific accident and contributory negligence was pled, and which was a knee-jerk reaction, but the public reaction to that against the, the lawyer's client was horrible. And so, I mean, this is a black eye for Air Canada. I mean, the argument is so stupid and so bogus. And why anybody would make it is, is you know, beyond almost beyond comprehension. Uh, but so it, it just could have been the knee-jerk sort of let's plead anything and open, open sticks, which and often comes back to haunt. Yeah, I will okay. say as the as the resident Canadian here, we we are not surprised that they have made the dumbest <laughs> legal argument or made um, themselves look stupid in this country. We are we are quite accustomed to it. Uh, I I haven't also seen anything to say that this chatbot is even AI enabled. It, it's, you know, it's been there for quite a long time as somebody who has also used the chatbot before, uh, though perhaps I should be using it more in a way where I can sue them and and and, and get compensation. I, I just don't understand this case at all. Um, and so folks kn should know AI, um, Air Canada has been sued successfully in small claims before in, in BC uh, at the civil uh, tribunal. So them losing again in small claims is no surprise. There's actually um, some some articles here talking about your Air Canada keeps losing and how customers have to keep going to small claims instead of using the legislation and the other government body to actually supposed to take care of this. There's supposed to be an administrative way to take care of this, but they're not able to, so they have to go to small claims where they know they have a better chance of winning anyway and getting the money sooner because Air Canada sucks that much. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it, it was so weird because it's they, they try to claim it's a separate legal entity. And I was like, you can't like retroactively do that. Like it, maybe you create it as a separate legal entity beforehand. And yeah, and then we have a corporate veil conversation. But like you can't retroactively <laughs> pretend that it is. And and I read the the order and it didn't seem like Air Canada even tried to claim that they had proactively done that they just kind of said eh, well, uh, it, it was so it, wild it, 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 i guess in in some fairness the, uh, the report that i read said that the chat bot did indicate that you needed to check the website and the correct information was on the website uh i don't know how conspicuous that was nor do i know whether the chat bot said you know I, the information i'm giving you could be wrong so you better go check it it would be, a, I guess, a semi-plausible argument to say, you know, that you needed to check what the chatbot said because we say on the face of it, it could not be right. That seems kind of silly, but it's not as laughable as saying the chatbot was a separate legal entity, and you know, we're we we have no control over it. I mean, it it sort of sort of strikes me as you know. A, the dog ate my homework, or I guess in Victor's case, the dog ate my carpet. <laughs> Excuse. But that really yeah, happened. You <laughs> yeah, you, you can't retroactively create an entity and pump liability over to it uh, and, and leave it judgment proof unless, you know, you're in the United States and you're trying to get rid of asbestos claims or something. But everywhere else in the universe, you have to do that beforehand. It was so weird. It, there and there is actually a a lesson for lawyers in this in this story, I guess, because a whole lot of law firms have chatbots on their sites, and there have been 
several ethics opinions that talk about the fact right. that if lawyers are going to be having chatbots on their sites, they better be damn sure those chatbots are giving out, uh, if to the extent they're giving out information or uh, whatever else they're doing, that they're, they're, they're accurate in what they're doing. And uh, you, you know how I have no, why I have no concern about that. I, I don't see a single lawyer having a chatbot whose customer service advice is going to be, here's a legal thing you can do without us billing you. Uh, everything that they're going to have <laughs> is going to go to that. Like the idea that it's going to be like, you know what, instead of us billing you, here's an answer. Don't worry about it is not something that's going to happen. Right. But, I, you think, know, I think the greater let's, concern let's is more that they create an attorney-client relationship in some way or lead yeah. the person going through the chatbot to think they've created a relationship. But, sorry, Victor. No, no, sorry. I, but like, let's, let, let's, let's, let's give it up for the chatbot, though. That chatbot showed more compassion and more, 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 more care for that, for that, for that, for that, for that, <laughs> that grieving man than, than, than Air Canada did. So let's, you know, maybe, maybe they are, maybe they aren't so bad after all. Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. Let's shout out to the chatbot. And and also a little tip, if if law firms are going to use chatbots, make sure it's connected to a human person as well, somebody who's actually monitoring what's happening in the chatbot. Air Canada could have contacted that person at any time if they were actually monitoring this thing. So, if, But if they weren't, then the chatbot really was its own person, having its own feelings, having its own kind of day when all of this happened. But yeah, if you're going to have a chatbot, have a human person connected to it. <laughs> And stay away from your Canada. All right. Uh, we are out of time. Uh, appreciate everybody's uh, input today. Appreciate everybody uh, in the chat participating, uh, everybody who watches it. Julie, thanks for sitting in. Uh, really appreciate your thoughts and insights. And uh, we'll be back next week. Everybody have a good week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>